This is Cashflow Ninja, episode 268 with Trace Meyer. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Here is your host inside the dojo, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobster here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today, and in today's show, we're going to look at the future of Bitcoin and crypto. I'm joined today by Trace Mayer. Trace is an entrepreneur, investor, journalist, monetary scientist, and ardent defender of the freedom of speech. Trace Mayer holds degrees in accounting and law, and he has studied Austrian economics, focusing on Murray Rothbard and Ludwig von Mises. A core purpose of Trace Meyer is to bring monetary sovereignty to individuals in order to protect and preserve their agency and freedom. To further that purpose, he was the first popular blogger to step onto the battlefield of ideas and publicly recommended blockchain technology, Bitcoin, in its infancy with a market cap under $2 million. Bitcoin is fulfilling its destiny, as he explained and predicted in 2010. And in December 2017, the Bitcoin market cap had massively swollen to over $305 billion. To continue executing his purpose, Trace Mayer is the host of an extremely popular Bitcoin knowledge podcast, which includes interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin space. Please share your feedback and thoughts on today's interview. You can let me know your thoughts on Twitter by tweeting me at MCLobsher or by email at info at CashflowNinja.com. And please remember to join our mailing list by signing up at CashflowNinja.com or texting CashflowNinja to 44222. To ensure you never miss one of our episodes, you can download our free interactive smartphone apps on the Apple and Google Play app stores. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access an educational webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. Trace, welcome to the show. Yeah, glad to be here. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Fantastic to connect. Uh, for my listeners that are not familiar with Trace Meyer and all of the things that you're up to, can you share a little bit about yourself and share a little bit about your background and your journey? Yeah, so my background, I guess it started uh, when I was five. I wanted a bicycle, and my father was like, "How do you want to? How, how are you going to pay for it?" <laughs> I thought I'd just have it given to me for my birthday, like all the other kids. Uh, so I drug around this little red wagon, and I'd sell Otter Pops to the construction workers. And my dad, who was in his MBA at the time, uh, he asked me, like, "Well, how much are you selling them for?" And I was like, "Well, I'm selling them. They're." 10 cents a piece or they're two for a quarter. <laughs> and he was like, shouldn't they be three for a quarter? <laughs> and I looked up at him and he said, I said, uh, but then I'd lose a nickel. <laughs> so, so I've always been kind of a little savvy on the business side and the math side, I guess. Uh, you know, and then middle school, high school, uh, I got into the internet and virtual currencies and some of these games, studied accounting, studied law in graduate school. 
uh, started a blog about run to gold because, you know, I looked at the large macro picture of the global economy, financial and monetary systems and like, wow, <laughs> this is going to be a wild ride. And, uh, so I had run to gold, wrote a couple hundred articles there and then came across Bitcoin. And that's actually where very early with Bitcoin, I was, uh, the first blogger, you know, kind of that had a decent sized audience that would start talking about Bitcoin. And this was around a quarter for, for a Bitcoin. And now it's, it hit like $17,000 in, uh, you know, in December. So that's kind of been a little bit of the journey. And for me, the, the issue or the purpose is not necessarily about making money, but it's about monetary sovereignty and extending property rights to the individual. And because if we can fix the property rights, then we can fix so many of the other problems in the world. You know, I think uh, Cato or Heritage, they've done a study. They found that countries that had very solid property rights, average life expectancy was 20 years longer and people lived a lot happier. So, you know, so monetary sovereignty, property rights, laying them down in software code with decentralized peer-to-peer immutable censorship resistant uh, networks like. I think it's kind of cool. So, so that's a little bit about my background and what I'm doing. I think that's one thing that uh, is missed by a lot of people that money didn't come from governments. It wasn't cre- it wasn't created by governments. It came from the people and the market. And as you mentioned, through private principles of private property, right? And the non-aggression principle, uh, which, you know, when you don't beat up people and steal from them, you have to negotiate and trade with them and come to good agreements and then uh, exchange, right? Uh, And it was just a, a medium of exchange. Yeah, I mean, and I've talked about this extensively, both on Run to Gold and also my podcast where I interview the top people in the Bitcoin space. It's called Bitcoin Knowledge. We we talk about the, these principles of, you know, money, the market, uh, e- even in my book, The Great Credit Contraction, that's like available for free now. I published it the same week that Bitcoin got released to the public, uh, coincidentally. And in there, I talk about the difference between chartalism and this market-based approach to money. Like, is money or currency, does it have value because individuals subjectively value it that way? Or does it have value because of state dictate by fiat, right? And like, I just, I just completely reject the chartalism theory for money because like we can see from history that, I mean, you could go back tens and hundreds of thousands of years and, and humanity has always settled on you know, three basic elements. There's gold, silver, and sodium bicarbonate. And those are like the three different collectibles that like they've honed in on and used as money. And it's just, when when we have sound money, then that stands as a protector of our property rights against despotic inroads on the part of governments. It belongs in the same place as constitutions or bills of right. And it protects against confiscation through inflation, which is a form of taxation without representation or without due process of law. And so we, in order to really have limited government in the world, in order for us to live like our own life, Right. We have to be able to have sound money. Otherwise, we're going to we're going to have the fruits of our labor just taken at will by someone else. And that's you know, that that introduces all types of negative effects into society, because then we have people who produce, but they don't get to choose what they're what they're using their their production on, you know, and so it gets conscripted into bombs and and 
TSA machines and giant spy apparatuses and like all types of stuff that people just might not necessarily agree with. And so the biggest way that the individual can vote no confidence in some of these things is with their money, you know, and that's what really is going to make a difference. And what I love about cryptocurrencies and, and Bitcoin is this is what it's brought to the forefront. And this is the philosophy behind this and, and what what is really uh, the, the space is all about, which is very exciting to see because there's, uh, you know, Trace, there's so many people excluded from financial services and just the ability to access the market. Uh, I'm from South Africa, just looking at Africa and the Middle East. Uh, what is it, 2 billion people, more than 2 billion people on the, uh, on the planet, they don't have access to the market through uh, and the financial market. So they don't get to participate in any of this. And now this is another avenue that's, that this has opened up for them. Oh, yeah. And not only that, but the current monetary and financial system has intentionally erected barriers to entry so that they're able to effectively grind the faces of the poor like this, uh, conscripting the natural resources. I mean, we've seen the money. We've seen money and state intertwined and mixed along with cryptography to shape the destiny of nations, whether it's the Enigma machine with the Third Reich, whether it's the way that the Third Reich used the exchange rate mechanisms to control Europe. Uh, and fund their their war machine, whether it's Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, Franklin Roosevelt in the U.S., all of these people made holding gold illegal. Uh, we we saw John Law in uh, France. He made he got the king to make using gold and silver illegal under penalty of death. It, then they got uh, starvation, and it led to the French Revolution and the Reign of Terror, where they decapitated with the guillotine 25,000 of the political elite in France. And so anytime you, you start politicizing and weaponizing the money, which the market is using in 50% of all the transactions, you're going to get explosive uh resistance, you know, because people really value their monetary sovereignty. And so it it's very, you know, this is a, and that that's the problem the world is in. We've had a dollar as the world reserve currency. It's imploding and evaporating. We like, we have bailouts and bail-ins and, and pension funds are getting uh, nationalized. Like, it's just chaos, right? And and out of this complete melu, uh, here comes Bitcoin. <laughs> and all of a sudden, people can verify instantly the quantity and the quality of what they own. So the gold swaps and the gold leases that have suppressed the interest rates, that's not going to work anymore because people can take delivery of the Bitcoin. Unlike gold, Bitcoin, hey, you got the private key. You have to have the private key to move the Bitcoins around. It's not like gold where you can go over and conquer South America and like bring back a bunch of gold, right? Like you can kill people, but you don't necessarily get their Bitcoin as a result of it. So it, I mean, it just totally changes the whole geopolitical uh, chessboard that's out there. Yeah, that's the one thing that you've spoken about too that's quite interesting because holding gold, there still has to be some sort of centralization element to it because the gold has to be somewhere. <laughs> it's yeah, in exactly. a vault where with Bitcoin, it's it's out on the, on the web. Yeah, I mean, and and don't get me wrong, I love gold. Like, I think it's a, it's very important. But like, what do we actually do when we're mining gold or when we're like, why, why does the market choose that? Right? Well, basically we go through a whole bunch, like a big giant 
mass of atoms and we try to find particular atoms. We try to find gold atoms or silver atoms and we do this mining. And like in South Africa, some of these mines go two miles into the earth. Like why in the world does humanity allocate resources that way? Right. I mean, just to dig it up and go put it in a different hole in the earth and put armed guards around it. I mean, it's a very odd behavior until you realize that it's about, you know, we produce wheat to eat it. We produce steel to build things. We produce oil to consume it, to power things. Why do we produce this gold? We produce it because it, it enables us to have a tool to perform economic calculation. And that, and that is how we then allocate resources. Well, with Bitcoin, it's actually very similar. Instead of mining through a bunch of dirt and all those atoms, we're just mining through a bunch of numbers. And we're trying to find a precious number, just like we find precious metals. And that precious number enables us to solve a block and add it to the blockchain. And, and then we extend it. And, and so, the, you know, Bitcoin functions and was designed very similar to gold and to a gold standard. And so it's going to be very exciting to see how this plays out because now Bitcoin's pretty much just this unstoppable force. I mean, it's using like 37 terawatt hours of energy annually, which is more than the entire country of Argentina. So, you know, this thing is, this thing is real and, and it's not going away. And it's been designed harnessing you know, Austrian school of economic thinking to just be a pin to pop this gigantic Keynesian bubble that everybody in the world, more or less, uh, has been drunk on due to our crazy Keynesian central bankers and their lackey politicians. No, it's it's very very interesting. I mean, 2017 was was definitely the the breakout year. Changing gears for a second, uh, Trace. As far as investing and and being an investor and looking at this, uh, what are some of your philosophical approaches uh, to investing? Uh, and what is a certain checklist that you've used? Uh, I've come across the the Meyer multiple to value assets. Can you share something about that? Oh yeah, so Preston, he hosts the the Investors Podcast where he studies billionaires, right? I don't know why he'd be interested <laughs> in me, but whatever. Um, but he he actually coined the Mayor Multiple, made a website about it, MayorMultiple.com. There's like a Twitter bot that tweets out the latest Mayor Multiple. Uh, anyways, I use the Mayor Multiple for technical analysis, and and I think that you know if we're going to tease this out, I have two prongs. One is fundamental analysis, and the other is technical analysis. So when I go down the fundamental analysis path, I want to do a fundamental analysis of like the asset, the, the, the asset specifically, the industry it's in, the, the role it plays in the global macro markets. Like, you know, I want to look and like kind of understand the, the whole picture and how it fits into everything. And if I think that it's a good, solid fundamental investment, and in this regards, you know, I kind of agree with Warren Buffett. I've read all of his letter to shareholders. Uh, and I agree with, you know, if the market's closed and you had to sit on this thing for 10 years or whatever, like, would you be comfortable owning it? And so, you know, that's, that's what I mean by fundamental analysis. Like, cause I, I do believe that you make money when you buy, not necessarily when you sell, although it's good to kind of time the, the two if you can. And that's what the technical analysis is for. Uh, but you make money when you buy. And so you have to buy it cheap. So, you do the fundamental analysis. You're like, oh, I want to buy this thing. Now the question becomes, well, is it cheap or is it expensive? Now, the problem we've got when we're trying to assess that is we've got the world reserve currency being the dollar. 
And the central banks have interfered with the pricing mechanism and with the interest rate. And remember, the interest rate regulates production over time. So they've just interfered with it to such a degree that price and value have become totally disconnected. And what I mean by this is like in 1999, Alan Greenspan testified twice before Congress that central banks, plural, stand ready to lease gold should the price rise. Now, this is totally crazy behavior. Like if you own a lot of something, why run a cartel to keep the price down? You know, this is odd. Like a price being suppressed, not supported and not by users and not, but by owners. And it's not for the obvious reasons, but you know, the reason is because their power to issue what we use as currency is infinitely more valuable than the price of a portfolio asset. So when we're looking at the center of the economic universe and the pricing universe, the sun is the gold. Right. And then even the fiat currencies, because they can become worthless, they rotate around the sun. And there's a great book on this called The Golden Constant by Professor Jastrom, who's not a gold bug, but he did find that there's a lot of correlations between all the commodities and the price of gold and all this stuff. And so, you know, I look at I look at gold and I'm like, well, so now we got this problem because what we want to use to price everything has just been totally screwed up by the central bankers. And then how we're pricing everything is, for the most part, we're denominating it in dollars or euros or whatever. So, well, like with the equation, why don't we just cancel out the dollar? <laughs> and so that's what I kind of do. I, I'll, I'll take the, the current price of Bitcoin, for example, and I'll take the 200-day moving average of Bitcoin because that's the long-term trend. And I want to hold this thing long-term, right? I'm not just looking for like the next daily play, right? Uh, day trading. I, that's just not part of my philosophy of life in general. Uh, but I got the current price, the 200-day moving average. They're both denominated in dollars. So we get to cancel out the dollar sign and then we get a relative price. Well, now with that relative price, we can, we can plot that over time. And once we plot it over time, we can, we can extract things like the standard deviation. Like when is, when is that relative price outside the first band of standard deviation? When is it outside the second band of standard deviation? And when is it outside the third band of standard deviation? And, and if it's outside the third band of standard deviation, you know, to the bottom side, say it's at 0.8x, then it's cheap. And if it's outside to the top, like 3.7x, like it was in December, then it would be expensive. And you can actually use this not just for Bitcoin. You could use it for any assets or any any uh, price ratios. You know, you could look at gold relative to Bitcoin or you could look at gold relative to dollars or yen or whatever. And, and I think that this technical analysis holds somewhat because we're, we're living in this price of relativity uh, because of these fiat currencies, which are just fiat illusions of like mass delusion. And so that's a little bit about how, you know, a complicated question you ask, but that's a little bit of my thesis, how I approach it fundamentally, and then uh, using a little bit of technical analysis also to, to understand some entry and exit points. No, appreciate it. And thank you. Thank you for sharing. That's very, very in, uh, interesting. Uh, Trace, let's jump into what is going on uh, with Bitcoin. And in the crypto space, uh, it ran up nicely towards the end of last year, came down. Uh, and again, as you and I chuckled about all of the, uh, the FUD, right? The fear, uncertainty, <laughs> and doubt that spread out in the media. There's a lot of uh, people that didn't see it coming 
don't really know what it is, but they know exactly what's going to happen to it. Can you share what you see uh, is happening out there and maybe touch on, upon the network effects, uh, discussing the different phases uh, of this uh, Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, isn't it, isn't it hilarious? We got people that like didn't see it coming, but they got a, and they don't understand it, but man, do they have a very strong opinion about it and where it's going. <laughs> you know, people like Jamie Dimon or whatever. It's right. Like, Oh my God, you're a dinosaur. <laughs> Seriously. Um, but yeah, like, so when I look at Bitcoin or, you know, and I think this applies to the, the, the internet protocols in general, uh, these cryptocurrency internet protocols, I like to go down kind of the seven network effects, uh, thing, you know, that I came up with. I, I asked like a question a couple years ago, like, why hire Bitcoin? Like, what do we hire it for? Like, what job do we want it to do for us? And I've, try to categorize it into these seven different network effects where we're doing these different jobs. So like the first one is speculation, you know, where everybody loves to chase the rabbit. As a result, Bitcoin is both a Veblen and a Giffen good. Uh, and companies in this space would be security companies. You know, you got to wallet companies, you got to hold and secure your Bitcoin exchanges. You got to have a place where you can trade them uh, for stuff. You know, so we got speculation, we got merchants, we got consumers, because when people are speculating on it, hey, they might want to spend it. A merchant hey, they'll accept it because all money is money, right? And consumers, they'll start spending at merchants because the merchants accept it. So that's the, we got first, second, third network effects going on. Because that's happening, we got demand for the Bitcoin, the block rewards denominated in Bitcoin. So as that block reward goes up in fiat uh, terms or just in general purchasing power terms, then miners get more attracted to come and mine the coin. Well, as they come and mine the coin, uh, it provides more security to the blockchain, more immutability. And since it's the you know the most secure blockchain, developers are going to start building on it. Uh, and that would be developers building not just the core or the protocol itself, but that would be companies building on top of it, like exchanges, or it might be something like Microsoft. They recently came out. They came out with a post yesterday uh, where they talked about decentralized identity and and how you know some of these cryptocurrencies they've decided to just raise the block size but it's degraded the quality of their blockchain <laughs> so you know taking a shot right at the big blockers uh with like bcash or whatever uh but the developers you know they want to build on the most secure the the the, the blockchain that's you know, got the most mass and substance behind it. And so that's our fifth network effect, our sixth network effect. That's where it starts integrating with the current monetary and financial system. The financialization is what I call it. So you got CME futures, CBOE futures, you got ETFs, you know, things like this. And then finally, your seventh network effect is going to be world reserve currency status. Uh, and you know, we're, that's still very much in the future, probably out a couple, a few decades. Uh, but you know, that's how I kind of look at this in terms of, you know, seven network effects and why we hire Bitcoin and, uh, you know, the, the job it's going to do for us, not only now, but also in the future, because you have to discount that future use case of Bitcoin to the current present price. And that's one of the reasons I think the price is just all over the place because there, there's a wide degree of asymmetric knowledge in the economy and people use the, the knowledge that they have to make their economic calculation. And so with Bitcoin, I think it's just widely understood by everybody and, and not under, you know, a lot of people don't understand it at all. And as a result, the pricing of it just becomes extremely erratic. Uh, but, you know, that gives opportunity to entrepreneurs because those people who perform correct economic calculation, they 
get profits. And those who perform incorrect economic calculation, they get losses. And, you know, just looking at how that works, two years ago, one Bitcoin would buy 13 and a half shares of GE. Today, it buys close to 585 shares. So, hey, those people who bought GE, they've got losses. Those people who bought Bitcoin, they've got profits. And that's just how economic calculation rewards those people who acquire knowledge and then apply knowledge in their in their decision-making process and capital allocation. What is the, uh, the effect of the futures on the CME and the New York Stock Exchange been on the price? And what do you see the role that it, it plays in the future? I don't think it's really had that much effect on the price yet at all, to be honest, other than just hype. Um, but because when, when you look at the actual liquidity there, I mean, it's like $40 million. And Kraken, which is an exchange I, I funded, uh, we, we did like a billion dollars of volume yesterday. So um, the, I mean, there's just not a lot of volume there yet. But it definitely is uh, a hype train. <laughs> because like, there could be a mountain of Wall Street money that wants to come into this space. And for the most part, when you're managing other people's money, you might be limited in the total value of assets you can hold without them being held by a regulated custodian. I think in the US, it's like $150 million. So, you know, these futures definitely become a shunt for those very deep capital pools to come into Bitcoin. Uh, if, you know, hedge fund managers and the banks will cooperate both in buying and clearing and settling uh, the, these instruments. So currently, I don't think it's had a huge effect, but I think it could have a very big effect um, if, you know, people decided to allocate large amounts of value to uh, Bitcoin. You're listening to Trace Mayer on the Cashflow Ninja podcast. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. This is MC Laubscher, the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast. As you may know, I'm also the president and chief wealth strategist of Valhalla Wealth Financial. We help individuals, families, small businesses, entrepreneurs, and professionals build their wealth outside of Wall Street and help investors maximize the use of every dollar in their personal economy and boost their investment gains. We do this by combining the capital and investments with the financial vehicle of the wealthy according to the infinite banking concept. If you're interested to learn more about privatized banking and the infinite banking concept, you can access an exclusive webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. You're listening to Trace Mayer on the Cashflow Ninja podcast and now back to our interview. So Trace, do you think as far as the trends and where, where, it, where we're at, obviously it's a, the public now knows about it, but do you think we're still in the early adopter phase? Because we've seen institutional money come in, but how, how much institutional money has come in and is there more waiting on the sidelines to really pour in this in your opinion? Yeah, I think there's a just a mountain of it waiting on the sidelines. But remember, we're dealing with asymmetric knowledge. We're dealing with a brand new kind of technology in general. Bitcoin was a category creator for fixing this uh, Byzantine generals, Byzantine fault tolerance problem in computer science. Uh, the financial and monetary actors, they know their system is burning. So they're on a burning ship. And it's like, well, what do we replace it with? Well, maybe this Bitcoin thing looks good, right? But then there's all the craziness and all the talk around it. But when we look at the fundamental innovation and computer science that's getting done, I mean, just to rattle off a couple of the stuff, uh, 
we've got segregated witness that got activated in August. We've got BEC32 addresses. We've got mass or Merkleized abstract syntax trees for smart contracts. We got tape root. We got Schnorr signatures for signature aggregation. We've got scriptless scripts. We've got the blockchain uh, programming language simplicity, Dr. Uh, Russell O'Connor's paper about that. We've got covenants. We've got confidential transactions. We've got client-side verification. We've got UTXO commitments and proofs. We've got TXO commitments. We've got fraud proofs. We've got TXO bit fields coming down the pipeline. We have rolling UTXO set hashes. We have the dandelion protocol for when you're actually broadcasting transactions to add greater fungibility and, and obfuscation to like the origination of the transactions because fungibility and anonymity, you know, those are use cases, I think, to protect trade secrets for these large corporations and everything. We've got neutrino. I mean, the amount of fundamental technological development and innovation that's happening around Bitcoin, it's just not happening around any of the other coins at all whatsoever. Uh, And that's the fifth network effect. And at the end of the day, the market is a weighing mechanism for value. So the price, you know, price in the short term, it can fluctuate all over the place. But in the long term, it will hone in on where the value has been created and reward uh, and reward that. You know, because at the end of the day, consumers are the ones that that want to buy certain things and then they hire different goods. And so they're going to reward the companies and the protocols and the assets that solve the problems that the consumers are willing to pay, willing to pay for. Now, uh, some of my listeners are probably familiar with the fork that happened in Bitcoin uh, last year around August in 2017. For those that are not familiar, can you just share a little bit what happened in the Bitcoin community and what were some of the challenges and and what were some of the different solutions proposed and where that's happening? Because we we had Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin from that. And what roles do you see each uh, of these uh variations of Bitcoin play uh, in the future. Yeah. So when we're dealing with software, I mean, software is just code, right? It's just ones and zeros. And so when you're dealing with cryptography and when you're dealing with money and all these things, well, hey, like we need to have access to all of the source code all the time. Like Wells Fargo, they've got their closed source (laughs) ledger, but that gives them the ability to get out a pencil and change what your balance is, <laughs> which is not cool, right? You might have $100 in PayPal and they get out their eraser and like, now you got 75. Well, if you want immutability, uh, hey, look, Bitcoin's the way we accomplish that. We have open source code. and But what comes along with having open source code is that anybody can just copy that code and then they can make changes to it. And it's actually under the MIT license, which is like the the freest uh, software license that there could be. And so we've had thousands of forks over the year. You know, people take the, they take the source code, they make a change, like maybe one megabyte block size to two megabyte block size, and boom. Now you've got a completely separate network that's built off of the Bitcoin code, but it's, but it's different because it has different consensus algorithms. And so that's what happened in August. Some of the Chinese miners, probably for profit motive, because they, they had something called ASIC boost, which, which was a, you could say it's a vulnerability in the mining algorithm that they were kind of taking advantage of. Uh, and this technological upgrade, segregated witness, would 
make it so they couldn't take advantage of that vulnerability anymore. And so they forked off and created something called Bcash or Bitcoin Cash. And it's a totally separate network. But what it did is it copied the entire ledger. So everybody who had a, who had one Bitcoin, they also had one Bitcoin Cash or one Bcash. And then the market got to start trading. And so the price of that has gone up and down. And like, you can sell your Bcashes and buy more Bitcoins. You can sell your Bitcoins and buy more uh, B caches. And, and then <laughs> because it, it seemed to be pretty successful because both before the price of Bitcoin was like $2,000. And then a month later, the price of B cash is like $500 and the price of Bitcoin was like $4,500. So it didn't quite work like a, like a, a stock spinoff would, right? Like you have eBay and PayPal, you spin off PayPal. The price of the two should be about the same because they're the same underlying assets. But in this case, the fork, like we actually had a higher price for both of them. So it's like, well, this, this was kind of interesting. So now we've seen additional forks. We've seen Bitcoin Diamond, Bitcoin Gold, uh, Super Bitcoin, Lightning Bitcoin, Bitcoin X, uh, Big, uh, Segwit 2X. We, we're seeing all these forks. And so, you know, you can take, you can go claim these forks and sell them for Bitcoins and get more Bitcoins that way, or you can buy them or whatever you want to do. And there's actually even a website called forkgen.tech where you can go and change a couple parameters like the name of it or whatever and immediately get the software to then run your own fork. <laughs> so oh, wow. I, so I think we'll actually see lots and lots of forks come out, but what we don't, you know, and whether it's forced or airdrops or whatever, uh, what we won't necessarily see is you, you can't just copy the network effects, right? These seven network effects, you can't just copy that. Right. And so like the Bitcoin network, in the last 30 days, it's had 170,000 full nodes connect to it. I was looking at Bitcoin gold. It's got, it's got like 120 full nodes right now. I mean, that wow. is a very small wow. network. And yet it's got like a $4 billion market cap or whatever it is. And even Bitcoin Cash, which is probably the largest fork with the most network effects and everything, it's got, I think, a thousand full nodes. And over half of those are all run on Alibaba servers. So the number of actual economically substantive full nodes that are being run on these other forks and networks, it is just absolutely tiny and minuscule compared to the Bitcoin network. So my general thesis would be, hey, don't hold these pieces of junk, like trade them, hit the bid and trade them into Bitcoin if you can and just treat it like free money, basically. Interesting. And the other part of it too is uh, the taxes, right? Because a lot of money flows into an asset and all of a sudden, boom, just like that, Uncle Sam pays attention. <laughs> funny, <laughs> yeah. how, funny how that works, right? Yeah, I mean, and now Arizona, uh, in the, in the United States, there's a state called Arizona and they just passed a law where you can pay your taxes in Bitcoin from what I understand. Oh, oh so, wow. So they'll take money any way they can get it, right? Cause these governments are just desperate to get money and funding. Uh, but yeah, like when you have tax recognition events, if you're US, uh, I, I recommend paying, paying your taxes because like, why deal with the hassle? You know, I just don't want the brain damage from dealing with uh, Uncle Sam. So I find it less brain damage to just like throw a big giant piece of red meat over there <laughs> and uh, r rather than like try and keep it myself. But of course, you know, you do 
maybe want to wait a little bit for your filing, like towards the deadline, uh, because who knows, the Bitcoin price might go up. So like why pay in January when you could have that money until April, right? So, uh, so I think we probably see a lot of that behavior happening too. Um, but yeah, I mean, and we got different tax regimes all over the world. Like you've got VAT and you've got Singapore and you've got Hong Kong and like, and you've got Isle of Man and like, you got all these different types of tax regimes all over the world, uh, with Bitcoin and, and these cryptocurrencies. So it's definitely a thing for each individual to figure out on their, on their own with uh, qualified, you know, counsel from CPAs or tax attorneys, et cetera. What is uh, your view on some of the other coins in the in the crypto space, the altcoins? And you know, I mean, we have Litecoin, we have Dash, Monero, uh, quite a number of them. And I mean, if you just go on Coin Market Cap, you wouldn't believe the amount of coins that are out there. So <laughs> it leads me to believe that uh, <laughs> that there's a lot of it that is not as advertised, right? As we've seen with with some of that, um, like BitConnect. What, what what's your view on on the on the other altcoins? Yeah, I mean, BitConnect, lo- BitConnect lost like what ninety-seven percent in one day because it's a Ponzi scam. Um, yep. I think, I think we like this whole area is just ripe with fraud, scams. Uh, hey, it's a free market, right? <laughs> and, and it's a global one, so it's like, how do the regulators chase all these people? Um, but yeah, so I mean, y- you look at it like these ICOs, they're likely they're unregistered, unlicensed uh, securities offerings. There's a lot of fraud that's been involved. You've got people selling them for discounts uh, to like, you know, insiders. So you've got just all types of like flagrant violations of law. Um, and then it's going to be very difficult to trade some of these tokens on legitimate exchanges because, you know, ones that are trying to be legally compliant, like at Kraken, we delisted some of the coins after the SEC came out with some guidance. And so, hey, like, it's great, like, speculate to your heart's content. Like, you got monetary sovereignty now to do that with. But if you really like, there's a lot of noise and there's not a lot of signal. And so, you know, hone in on the signal and be very careful with how much you allocate to noise. And if you don't understand like what's going on in this space, like try not to get suckered in by a bunch of buzzwords and stuff like that. Um, and so, you know, almost all of these altcoins, they have greatly underperformed Bitcoin over a significant amount of time. In fact, if you just bought Bitcoin and hodled it, you know, that's kind of our colloquialism for just buy and hold. If you, if you do that, you're probably going to outperform people who actively trade it. And most likely you're going to outperform people dinking around in all of these altcoins too. Nevertheless, you know, looking at it as a distraction like that, nevertheless, there is some fundamental innovation that happens in some of these coins, which I find to be pretty interesting. Like, for example, Dash came out with a masternode network. Uh, over the last two years, Dash has outperformed Bitcoin by a factor of about 6x, which is very rare, you know. And then you've got other stuff like Smart Cash is trying to, you know, trying to have this renew function and some uh, using increasing the fungibility and the anonymity. You've got PIVX did like the first zero coin implementation on a proof of stake coin. So, I mean, you Ethereum is like smart contract stuff. Litecoin implemented segregated witness and lightning network before the Bitcoin network did. So, you know, they can definitely function as test beds and you can use them to test new technology and do it in a production environment and all of this stuff. 
But if you really want the safety and the security, uh, you know, that's the niche that Bitcoin is going after. It's trying to be the safest, the most secure, the, the one that's going to change the least on you without very wide consensus. So, you know, it really just depends on whatever your risk appetite is. And there is a ton of speculation ability in all these altcoins, like not denying that. It's just, you know, <laughs> be, be careful. Uh, it's kind of like the 1849 gold rush in California. Uh, you know, a lot of people could end up just losing everything, even though they chose to be in the right place at the right time. They just chose to work on the wrong thing. And so, you know, it's just be careful, you know, take, take, put on your big boy pants, your big girl pants, because, uh, hey, monetary sovereignty comes with monetary, with personal responsibility, too. Absolutely. Trace, uh, your outlook for Bitcoin and the crypto space in 2018, uh, what do you see happening in the in this year? Yeah, I mean, well, I'm, I rattled off quite a bit of all the development that's kind of happening. Uh, I think I think it's just going to be a huge year. I mean, we've got Lightning Network, already 600 nodes on the main net. So people are playing around with real money, uh, buying real things with it. Uh, that'll really, Lightning Network will help build out these second and third network effects of merchants and consumers. Uh, because, you know, if we get full block size space and we got high transaction fees, like, ah, you can't really buy a cup of coffee, you know, with this, like, very solid asset. So we have to use additional layers, uh, which we can do trustlessly. Uh, so, you know, I think we're going to see all types of stuff. We're going to see MAST, which is going to help us with smart contracts, root stock, which uh, helps us like port over smart contracts also, pretty much everything out of solidity over on Ethereum. So, you know, 2018 might be the year where you know, people were able to go out and play around with a lot of the altcoins and everything, but hey, you might want to come back to the core because a lot of big stuff is is going to get rolled in and, and rolled out in the in the main core. I mean, Lightning Network alone, you've got onion routing like built into it. So all of these privacy and anonymity coins like Monero and Dash and PivX and Smart Cash, etc., like uh oh, <laughs> you got onion routing network in uh, in the Lightning Network. So good luck with that. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. Now, uh, Trace, uh, one habit I've observed from wealthy and successful people is that they're always studying new things and, and learning new things. What are you currently studying and reading up on? Yeah, so, you know, I, I do a lot of reading uh, across a wide variety of subjects. Um, yeah, I suppose, like, lately, I just got another book, uh, The Telomere Miracle, uh, and I highly recommend another book, The Telomerase Revolution by Dr. Fossil, uh, you know, because we, we need to have our health. Our health is very important. And then our wealth is kind of the next layer up. And so we got health, wealth, then we have our experiences. So we want to optimize our human experience. And then we have relationships, you know, so those are kind of the four main pillars I, I kind of look at, like in my own life, you know, to build stuff on. And so, you know, Bitcoin is kind of a means to an end in a lot of ways to uh, just help with, providing a solid foundation because if you want to experiment in the health related stuff, you, you probably need to have some money to do that. So you need to have wealth, you need to have health, you need to have good experiences and you need to have good relationships. And, you know, when we're looking at relationships, it's like, well, why do we do the stuff that we do? And at the end of the day, like what we really love, that becomes our life. You know, it becomes, it helps shape all of our thoughts and it helps. And then we put it into action uh, in, into the things that we do. And so, 
you know, if, if you don't have the life that you really want, like you, you need to go and look very much into what motivates you and why you do the things that you do and perhaps change some of that if you're not liking the outcomes that you're getting uh, in life and if you're just not happy. Absolutely. Now, a core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations, and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? I suppose it would be one is to uh, you know, figure out how you can really serve other people and and help make their life better. And using that as a core driving force behind the things that you do. You know, you you like say you're a dentist, you know, if the person doesn't really need a cavity done, but you need to make a payment on your boat and so you compromise your you know, you compromise integrity by doing that cavity so that you can make an extra buck. Like that's just a wrong motivation. You know, and and that goes for everything that we do. Like what what is really motivating why we're doing what we're doing? Are we doing it for some other higher purpose or are we doing it merely for our own self-centeredness and and our own self-ego? So one would be, you know, try to try to do things with a with a higher purpose in mind and in a way that can help serve and and help other people in their life. Two is uh, always you know, stay humble <laughs> because like life has a way of uh, humbling you if you don't stay humble yourself. And what I mean by that is be teachable, be learning, be uh, growing and expanding your own abilities and your own talents. Uh, you know, so, so, you know, be humble and, uh, and, and being teachable in that way and then work hard. You know, you like you got to work hard and and not just hard, but also smart. So you have to I guess it would be work very productively, like work smart and work hard. And and so, you know, when we look at our outcome, when at, at what we're able to accomplish, it's usually a function of the tools that we use multiplied by the effort that we put in. And if you can figure out how to be wise or use better tools, then you can accomplish a whole lot more. You know, if like you want to dig a hole with your hands, do you want to dig a hole with a shovel? Do you want to dig a hole with a backhoe? Like, you know, you can put in a lot less effort and accomplish a whole lot more if you're using very powerful tools. And so I suppose those would be my three things. Like one, get your motivations in, in, in proper order. Uh, two, be humble and teachable, always learning new things and better ways to do stuff. And then three, like put that into action by, you know, working very productively, working both smart and working hard. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing those, Trace. Where can my listeners uh, learn more about you? Where can they get in touch with you and stay in, informed of all of the projects that you're involved with? Yeah, so, uh, you know, Twitter, I like to follow the example of our great president and stir up all types <laughs> of controversy. Uh, so, at Trace Mayer on Twitter uh, for some fun discussion. And then, uh, I suppose, my Bitcoin Knowledge podcast, uh, www.bitcoin.can. I try to interview a lot of the top people in the Bitcoin space and, and also put on interviews whenever I'm interviewed. I put them on there, too, so people are able to, to find them and listen to them because, at the end of the day, like I know what I'm talking about. I talk about it and, and do these interviews for the benefit of the people listening, uh, not necessarily for my own benefit. In fact, it would it'd probably be better for me if I uh, didn't do them. But hey, when you got a core purpose of extending monetary sovereignty uh, to the world, like, hey, that's just, you know, it's part of the territory, right? So 
that's a little bit about where, where people can find me and what I'm doing. And thanks so much for having me on. It's been a great, great chat and great discussion. No, I love it. And thank you so much for connecting. This has been a blast connecting and having you on. And thank you so much for sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners. Yep. Anytime. Thank you for joining my guest, Trace Meyer, and myself on the Cashflow Ninja today. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. I'm always trying to learn and improve in every area of my life. So if there's any way that I can provide more value for you and serve you better, please reach out to me at info at cashflowninja.com. If you're not a subscriber to the Cashflow Ninja Gosh Good Newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com or text Cashflow Ninja to 442. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access an educational webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. That's our show for today, everyone. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.